We come to our first Bible reading, and the Bible reading is from the book of Genesis, uh, Genesis chapter 2, verses 8 to 17. It's Genesis chapter 2, verses 8 to 17. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. And the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden there were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there it was separated into four headwaters. The name of the first is the Pishon. It winds through the entire land of Havilah where there is gold. The gold of that land is good. Aromatic resin and onyx are also there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It winds through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is the Tigris. It runs along the east side of the Asher. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Maybe you could turn with me again to the great book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 2, and I'll be picking up the reading uh, from where we left off. So that will be Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18. And I'm going to be reading through to the end of the chapter. So that's Genesis chapter 2 and starting at verse 18. Let's hear from God's word. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air. He brought them to the, to the man to see what he would, he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air and all the beasts of the field. But for Adam no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib that he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh." The man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Well, friends, as we take a look at this wonderful passage, let's, let's pray together. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, that you speak to us. We, you speak to us through your wonderful word and you illuminate it by your wonderful Holy Spirit. Father, we pray that you would do that wonderful and miraculous work right now as we take a closer look at Genesis chapter 2. 
And we pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Back when I was a little younger, if you wanted to keep up with what was happening out there in the world, you'd flick on the news. But these days there are a few more options available to us, aren't there? One of them being to scroll down a social media page and see what it has to report. And so I did that the other day and a couple of clips down there was a photo of a sign above a public toilet. Now, why was something like that considered news? Well, to begin, this sign didn't say male or female, but non-binary. And just in case you didn't know what that meant, under this heading was about 15 different icons. First, there was the standard male and female figures, but next to these two was a depiction of a robot. Alongside AI man was a person with a fishtail, then half person, half horse. There was also a space alien in the mix, and on and on these weird and wonderful pictures went. Friends, if there was ever a time in our history where human beings have lost touch with some basic tenets of what it means to be human, this has got to be it. So why has this happened? How have we got here? Well, I'm no psychologist, this, but this I know. If the generation growing up received no grounding, no foundation on who they are and why they are, if society loses touch with the human story, then we shouldn't be too surprised when they fall for fairy tales. And so here we are, humanity in the grip of a massive identity crisis. Result, toilets with 15 different options and counting for who you believe you truly are. And friends, the saddest, most tragic part about all of this is who we are and why we are has been made very plain to us. Our identity is not hidden. It is no secret. Man was made in God's image. Genesis chapter 1 verse 27. And in the very next chapter, as we saw last week, we are given more of that picture. The eternal God, with all his artistry and skill, crafts the first man from the ground up. Having done so, he didn't then simply command him to breathe, but personally animated him with his own divine breath. God then gave this newly formed image bearer an enormous and wonderful privilege, governance over the entirety of his very good creation. Reflecting on this in Psalm 8, David writes, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You made man a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honour. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet, all flocks and herds and the beasts of the field, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. 
And so David sings and praises Yahweh God for the incredible privilege he bestowed on man. And friends, just so there is no confusion, this word man includes two genders. Not 36, not 57, but two. Genesis chapter 5 and verse 2. Have a listen. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. He created them male and female and blessed them. And when they were created, he called them man. So who is man? What is our identity at its core? We, male and female, are image bearers of the eternal God. Created to oversee and rule his very good creation. So friends, that answers the who question, but it doesn't answer the how, does it? How exactly was man to rule? What does this God-given role look like? And as we consider this, is there specific roles for the two image bearers or are they the same? Well, we now turn our attention to this question and as we begin, we start with the male. We start with Adam. Because at the moment, it's still just him, isn't it? So let's see what God does with Adam next, having created him. Verse 8, have a look at it. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. Now having read that, our first impression might be a garden. Now isn't that lovely? Isn't that nice? But friends, if that's your response, it it falls a little short because the original word for what Adam was now placed in wasn't the Greek word uh, for garden, which is perivoli, but paradisios, translated paradise. God placed Adam in paradise. And with that in mind, you're almost certainly now picturing something a little more than just beautiful trees and flowers. And friends, rightly so. Remember Jesus' words to the repentant thief? Today you will be with me in this same place, in paradise. And friends, when Jesus said that, the repentant thief knew Jesus was promising him something way more than just a beautiful garden but a place where heaven meets earth. A place where we are with God and he is with us with no barriers whatsoever. And friends, this is what we are talking about right here in Genesis chapter 2, verse 8. The opening chapter, Genesis 1, makes clear the whole earth is very good. No corruption whatsoever. But there is a specific spot on the earth, a geographical location, verses 10 to 14, where the God of gods and Lord of lords is present and available to his image bearer. And so with God by his side, Adam is now given a tour of this garden paradise that he might know his role in it. And as they walk along, special mention is made of one particular type of vegetation, isn't it? Verse 9, have a look. 
The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. Now, friends, I love trees, especially fruit trees, but why simply focus on them right here? Well, let's keep reading, second half of verse 9. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so we see our eyes are focused on the trees because smack bang in the middle of this garden stand a couple of very, very important ones. What makes them so important when it comes to Adam's role as image bearer? Well, verse 16 is key here. Have a look at it. The Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. Now, friends, How Adam reacted when God told him that, who knows? But one thing is for sure, this lovely tour of the Paradise Garden has taken a sobering turn, hasn't it? Two trees, Adam, to take careful note of. One available to you that you might live, the other unavailable lest you die. So life and death side by side. Now, friends, we're going to talk a whole lot more about these two particular trees, but right here, what is the big takeaway for Adam as he looks at them? And what is God teaching him by placing these two trees in the garden right next to each other? Let's have a think about that for just a second. As Adam regularly goes to the tree of life to sustain his life, as he eats of its fruit, he will be reminded that his life is contingent on the life giver, won't he? God never eats from this tree because he doesn't have to. But Adam absolutely does. The lesson, Adam depends on God for life. But friends, dependency is only half the lesson. What's the other half? Well, as Adam eats of this tree and looks at the one right beside it, the one full of beautiful fruit that he simply can't enjoy, not only does Adam learn dependence, but he learns how to express his dependence, doesn't he? And that is through obedience. Dependence, obedience. And so through these two trees, one necessary, one forbidden, Adam is taught every day that he does not have life unto himself, nor is he a law unto himself. Now lock that in, Adam, and he is on the way to succeeding in his role as God's image bearer. For the two trees, side by side, show how the creature-creator relationship works, can only work. 
Now, friends, as we take this, this first big lesson of Adam's garden tour in, we can quickly make some connections, can't we, as to why humanity today is so confused and lost. Dependency expressed through obedience tossed out for self-reliance and self-rule. And while we can talk at length about the utter chaos this causes out there, let's think about us in here for just a moment. How often in a day or in an entire week do these two foundational and fundamental truths expressed by those two trees cross our minds? Because if they don't, how different are we than the world out there? If we forget dependency and obedience... How do we avoid becoming a law unto ourselves? How do we not look like the world? And friends, if you can relate to what I'm saying, before we pray for the mixed up world out there, pray first for your inner world, for your world in here. It's a battle. Remember those two trees placed side by side that we might lock in once more how we, the creature, live out our relationship with our creator. Life comes from him and is found in him and it is always expressed through obedience. But friends, these two trees and what they teach is not the only lesson in this garden tour for Adam. Back to verse 15, have a look. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to care for it. To work it and care for it. So there's Adam's job in a nutshell. Two key jobs are now given to him. And if you if you drill down on the meaning of these two jobs... The takeaway is work it carries the idea of cultivation while take care the idea of keeping guard to protect. Now friends, as we take this job description of Adam's in, we immediately see, don't we, that this paradise garden is not static, is it? It's dynamic. The garden has been kicked off by God. It's the start, but we continue this project. It's not the end, it's the beginning. Cultivate it, Adam. Grow it. And as you do, keep guard, keep watch over it. Now, friends, as we hear that, that raises a few questions for us immediately, doesn't it? One of them being, well, how does Adam, or why does Adam need to protect this paradise garden? It's very good, isn't it? What threat could there possibly be? Friends, chapter 3 is going to answer that question for us and we'll soon see how well Adam goes as Eden's guard. But sticking with verse 15, here we have our very first father's role. He is to see that the patch that he has responsibility for flourishes and grows. 
And as he goes about this, this work, this task, he is to provide safety for all within its borders. And friends, in this we see the basic God-given role of every male made in God's image. His job, just like Adam, is to see to it that his patch flourishes and grows within an environment of safety. And this is worked out as we walk, talk, depend and obey our Heavenly Father. Now, fellas, I know none of us can hear that and then not then immediately think of all the ways we have failed to live up to this God-given mandate. And yes, sure, we can point the finger and lament at all the ways the world today attacks our patch from every side. But why should we expect anything less from a fallen world? Any encouragement at all from a society that has let go of God? So don't let the world get into your ear. Lest we fall for a different identity with a different job description. Men, we were created to serve and guard our patch under God. Guard it from all attacks of the enemy. Do we fail? Yes, we do. But the answer isn't to give up, but to starch up. Repent for our failings and then dust ourselves off, asking God afresh for help in this sacred task that he gave us. And so we return to the first man who heard this charge. But both growing the garden and protecting it is an impossible task on his own. How do we know that? Let's keep reading verse 18. Have a look. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air and all the beasts of the field. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So helper is sought for Adam to fulfill his role. But helper is nowhere to be found in all of creation. And so this critical royal position remains vacant, doesn't it? Now something must now be done lest Adam fail in his image-bearing task. So what will be done? Verse 21. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. So another image bearer is now specially handcrafted by God, formed not from the soil this time but from Adam, 
from an image bearer, another image bearer is formed. This one is similar to Adam, but also different. Verse 23. This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. So different. Not another he, but she. But similar, for she, woman, means taken from the man. And friends, while from this day on that order will be forever reversed, every person will now come from the woman. But here her name reminds her and us that the first female was born or taken from man. Now, why is that truth so important to know, particularly in terms of Eve's identity and role as co-image bearer of God? Well, let's back up just a bit and consider how the world would like women to identify themselves and work back from there. Now, I reckon the entire, entire narrative of what the world teaches is summed up in an old song by Helen Reddy. I am woman, hear me roar. And the message at its core is clear, isn't it? You are independent, independent of your co-image bearer. So strike out on your own. For freedom is found in breaking the shackles from the atoms in your life. Now why is that the big overarching message? Because God specifically made Eve to help Adam succeed in his God-given role, to grow the paradise garden. And the enemy sure does not want that to succeed now, does he? And so comes the whisper, right? Help her, eh? You may as well be a pathetic slave. Actually, no. Because who else in the Bible is regularly referred to as man's helper? Psalm 118, verse 6, have a listen. The Lord is with me, I will not be afraid. What can others do to me? The Lord is with me, he is my helper. I will look in triumph on my enemies. Sisters, to be given the task helper, is a high, high calling indeed, which is why it is so under attack. The only other one equipped for this task, as we see from Scripture, is God himself. So don't let Satan redefine the terms. Eve was given the divine gift of helping Adam grow the paradise garden not just in a physical sense, but in a spiritual way as well. And so God specifically fashioned Eve that his purpose for his world might succeed. And so Satan attacks who? In verse 3, the woman. His divide and conquer strategy continues to this very day, doesn't it? How is Satan's whisper working on you in this? 
Remember your identity and your role is not identified or defined by the enemy, but by God. Genesis 2, 18 to 23. And so God brings the woman to the man, and in their union together they become one flesh. And friends, while a whole sermon or even a whole sermon series could be done on marriage, Sticking to the main purpose of our passage, here we have our two image bearers in perfect harmony, one in both flesh and purpose to grow the paradise of God from every side. You know, there's a line in a song that we are going to sing shortly that goes, naked ashamed, sin is made clear. But here it's the opposite, isn't it? They were both naked but felt no shame. And with that we have this perfect snapshot of man's identity as male and female. Perfect in union, perfect in role, perfect in intention. Ready to see the glory of God go out as the waters cover the sea. This of course is now broken. And so our reality is the opposite to Genesis 2.25. Naked, ashamed, sin is made clear. But friends, the very next line in that song goes like this. And yet, and yet, he clothes us in his love. Our shame and nakedness is covered. It is covered completely and forgiven. That we restored with his help might once more live out our God-given purpose and role. And while that will not be done perfectly down here, this song testifies to a time where we will in a new paradise But before we sing of this wonderful truth and how it's made possible, let's pray together. Our Father, what a a wonderful passage this is. So important and so clear about who we are, why we are, indeed whose we are, who we belong to, which is you. Father, as we, as we contemplate the passage, as we chew over it, as we see the beauty of it, we recognise how it's been soiled and spoiled. But Father, we also know from the rest of the Bible story, not beyond repair. Father, we thank you for our great Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ, who restores us back to you. Heavenly Father, help us to know that those roles given there are not now stuck in the garden, but are ours also to live out. That God's glory might be seen and known by those who don't know him. Help us, Father, as your image bearers to know the role you have given us. And equip us and encourage us by your Holy Spirit to live out this role. 
Help us, Lord, to come to you with deep repentance and seeking your help once more to re-establish and show us how we bear your image and image you out to a lost world. And Father, we pray these things for Jesus' sake and for his glory. Amen.